Welcome to Shared Instance, a podcast on iOS development by three iOS developers in Cincinnati, Ohio. I'm Sam Corder. I'm Alex Argo. And I'm Alex Robinson. This is episode 92. Welcome back, guys. Uh, this is our second episode of the new year. And this year, we already did our New Year's resolutions, but last year we also included our kind of our buy, sell, hold, which was our predictions on what you should be using in 2016. And we did that in the same episode last year, but this year we're just going to split it up a little bit. So we have that coming up. We also got some interesting things that happened this week. It's not often that major architect of your favorite programming language leaves the company that he was that he founded that language in. Yeah, I think that caught a lot of people off guard, especially, you know, he's been there 11 years. Uh, Chris Latner's probably one of the best known members of the engineering team. I think he's one of the f- first engineers that has been on the, the main stage for a keynote. So it's kind of sad to see him leave Apple. Uh, and, you know, Swift still feels like it's in its infancy. But I know there's a, a big community and a big team that he's leaving behind that will continue moving it forward and has been contributing uh, fairly early on and, and have been make, making probably the majority of the contributions. You know, I'm sure Chris had a lot of other responsibilities too. So I, I don't suspect it'll have a major impact on, on Swift or, you know, the future of Apple, but yeah, I, I guess, you know, he went to Tesla. So, you know, <laughs> if he was going to go anywhere, that's probably the, one of the more interesting places he could go right Although now. One of the one of the interesting things about that is it sounds like a big part of the reason why he was leaving Apple is just because he was burnt out on various things, just like some stuff with recruiting, I guess. Uh, but it seems like if you are burnt out, Tesla is not a good place to go to necessarily, because I've I've heard they have a very similar uh, culture to Apple in that they they work very, very hard and people get yeah. burned out very quickly at Tesla too. So well it looks like he, he chose poorly on his Twitter handle though. It's C Latner underscore L L V M. Oh, he may still be a committer on L L V M, so it doesn't just because he's going to yeah. Tesla doesn't mean Well it, it could be like Chris Flattner low level vehicle maneuvering. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, going from compilers to AI and autonomous Driving systems is, uh, you know, going from probably one hard domain to maybe an even harder domain. So he's certainly going to find some new challenges there. Yeah, I wonder if they end up using Swift for some of their stuff. That might be kind of interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I would have to imagine if I were in his shoes, he might not be coding at all, but, you know, having invested right. so much in Swift and then not be able to use it um, would be a little painful. Well, he actually was one of the people that used Swift the least because the compiler was actually written in C++ and Python. True. So he, he never really got to use the product that he was creating. Yeah. At least not professionally. I guess uh, forget server-side Swift, forget client-side Swift. It's not now going to be car-side Swift. Real-time systems, neural networks. You know, it'll be interesting to see, uh, you know, hopefully continue to be public about the stuff that they're working on. And, you know, I don't know how public they are on the software side at Tesla. I know patent wise, they've been pretty open, but I don't know software wise. I really, 
Uh, all I know is I really hope that uh, my car doesn't start randomly prompting me for my Apple ID, because that would be a pain in the butt. <laughs> Do you think maybe, like, Phil Schiller threw a chair around like Balmer did when one of the Microsoft engineers quit to go to Google? I couldn't imagine Tim Cook throwing a chair around. He seems too calm and quiet for that. I don't think Phil works yeah. that, worked that closely with, with him, would be my guess. I'm just pulling names. Craig might have. Yeah. I don't know. He... He had been there 11 years, you know, 11 years is a long time for anybody. I have to imagine it was a pretty nice offer, though, to, to get him to, to leave. I have to imagine Apple took very good care of him. Yeah, and, and also to have the welcome message posted on their website the day that it was announced. Yeah. I mean, that's that's not something you do for just your average engineer coming. No. Uh, he's, a, he's a VP. So I think he was a director at Apple. Yeah, it seems like it's a bit of a promotion. It's hard to tell exactly because the scope of what a VP is one place and a director is somewhere else, maybe a little different, but yeah. And management at Apple tends to be, at least it appears to be fairly light. It's a f somewhat flatter, more uh, single threaded organization. Like it's not uh, broken up into many divisions, everything kind of, you know, there's four or five people that seem to be involved in everything. I don't think you have like 50 VPs and bunch of divisions that don't talk to each other like you do at some companies like you know Apple, uh, Microsoft for example is fairly uh, compartmentalized so uh, when the news came out I had a, a bunch of people say to me I think among and you two got you two uh, you basically were like oh it looks like you were right to hold off on Swift Swift uh, and I'm guessing you guys were mostly joking but I think you mentioned before you don't expect really anything to change with Swift Alex it sounds like this Ted Kremenek guy. I don't know if that's how you pronounce his name. Sorry, Ted, if it's not and you're listening. Uh, but it seems like he should probably have a good handle on things. Yeah, I think it's, you know, there was already a, a fairly strong community that's been uh, put together around Swift, both inside of Apple and, and the open source community. So I, I think it's got a life of its own now. Don't know how much Chris necessarily participated I know he did occasionally weigh in on the on the mailing list, and usually, to some degree, it seemed like he would you know put the line in the sand of you know we're not going to do this or we are going to do this. I imagine Ted and and the rest of the community will will be able to kind of maintain that line in the sand and not let the language get out of control. Well, we also have the whole Swift evolution process, right? For taking new language features, right? And I have kind of mixed feelings, like. The experience going from Swift 2 to Swift 3 was, I think, for a lot of us, more painful than we expected um, because there were a lot of a lot of small but pervasive language changes that it it was non-trivial to to migrate. And uh, hopefully, we're done with that and won't have to do it again. But time will tell. Yeah, I just did an app the other day, and it evenings it took me three nights to get it all compiling and working again and it wasn't a huge project but it wasn't non-trivial either and so i feel for those people that maybe had large apps that they invested a lot of time in yeah and then you throw in the libraries on top of that and you know if you don't migrate you've got to juggle older versions of libraries if you're using swift libraries and it gets a little messy oh yeah it was Definitely like replacing more than one wheel on a bus at a time. Yeah. The bus is moving. And a lot of the changes were for the better and better to get those things locked down before 
they introduced the uh, stable ABI, but there were more changes than I had expected after, you know, we went through several rounds of breaking changes from Swift 1 through Swift 2X, and then 3 just kind of was all that and then some. Yeah. So interestingly, I think due to some of these issues with Swift upgrades, there's been a clean room implementation of Carthage. I guess clean room is probably not an accurate term, but basically somebody re-implemented Carthage using Python and it's called Punic, and which is goes all back to the whole Carthage as a civilization and the their wars with Rome and whatnot. But there it's it's kind of a, a minor thing to talk about, but I do find it interesting in that the guy said that the number of lines of code were drastically smaller than what was in Carthage. Yeah, I wonder, is that just more because, I mean, you're doing a lot of stuff with configuration files, essentially, aren't you? Like dealing with Xcode project files and stuff. And it seems like Python may be, you know, better at just dealing with dynamic stuff versus having to be very explicit with Swift when you're parsing all the things out and all, all that kind of stuff. It seems like that's got to be the big reason. Did you guys look into it any further? Do you know why it was a lot less lines of code? I can. Uh, I think part of it was Carthage was used as a playground or sandbox for uh, Reactive Cocoa 3 and using it in the command line. So I think there was a lot of extra code written in order to, to prove that out. Hmm. And I think if you were to try and build it without that, you'd probably would have ended up with a lot less code. Yeah. Well, Python is also a, a very uh, batteries included language. It's, it's, their, yeah. it's their term that they like to bandy about. Yeah, true. They have, they have lots of stuff in there. Yeah, it has a, a very rich standard library as opposed to something like JavaScript, which has no standard library. But Swift has a pretty, pretty full featured standard library. Yeah, but you won't find, say, a YAML parser in Swift included in uh, foundation or something. Yeah. And you, there really isn't, there isn't anything necessarily built in to deal with command line arguments and options and things like that. So you have to kind of build that out. Yeah. I assume you get a little bit more of that with Python. Yeah, that makes sense. You should, as long as the, the length, the uh, command line parameter format would be something that whatever included Python language handled. Yeah. I don't know if you'd have to pull in a third party library, but to deal with some of those common things. Yeah. And, but Python is also a very uh, expressive language. It's very succinct and you can get a lot done with a little bit of coding versus statically typed languages that tend to be more verbose. But there's a trade-off because it's, it's a dynamic language and it's not going to be as fast no matter what you do as a statically compiled language. And there are things like Java can get almost the performance of C and actually sometimes it can even beat C depending on how long the process runs and whether it can optimize things away. But that's that, that comes at a pretty good cost. And interestingly, Google, even their YouTube team has implemented a Python transpiler in Go. So it takes your Python programs and translates them into Go and it's called grumpy. <laughs> <laughs> but they, they see a, at runtime, they see a large reduction in CPU and memory resources 
but for a command line utility like that, the startup time for Python would be relatively minimal, and the amount of time that's actually going to run and things, the CPU is not going to be the bottleneck. It's more your your uh, network interface and probably Xcode. So Python's a good has definitely has its places. And it's probably not a bad idea to have a Carthage type of tool written in Python. I mean, that CocoaPods is written in Ruby. Yeah, but I really hate using tabs to to dictate kind of what, if I'm in a function or if I'm in an if or all that control flow stuff. It kills oh. me. <laughs> see, see, Argo, they all use spaces. Spaces, use spaces tabs. or tabs, whatever. Regardless, it... <laughs> Use a code formatter. You you format your code already, right? But I, I'd rather have like curly braces to to dictate the scope of things. I don't like. <laughs> I just don't like the spaces in Python. Maybe that's just me being dumb. And you're gonna tell me that you want to hold on to your semicolons too, right? No, nah, I don't know about the semicolons. There, I'll go either way with those. Where do you draw the line, man? Semicolons. It sounds like <laughs> <laughs> white space. Maybe yeah, white space. I guess I'm cool with semicolons. <laughs> Anyways, we've got a lot of uh, buy, sell, and hold to do, so we should yes, we should we get do. started on that. All right. So first one on the list was UI kit animations, and really this comes from the uh, I guess the my feeling the general trend of what's happening where Apple is kind of replacing them or superseding them with their own technology, and other companies have come out with their own little animation libraries. So first up. Well, so you should probably back up. Yeah, I need some more clarification. <laughs> the whole, yeah, the the whole buy, sell, hold deal here. Um, the the hold is you might be using this now, and you can decide based on the the trend of where this technology is going whether to keep using it or maybe just kind of take a wait and see approach if you're not already using it. So that would be hold, and then buy would mean you want to use it. It looks good. It's something that is gaining momentum or has momentum and is not in any danger of losing that momentum. Sell, on the other hand, would be something like what happened with ASI, the old networking stack, when that thing got to be a beast and the maintainer said, I'm not maintaining this anymore. And that would be a definite sell. So you're using it and it's losing mind share. It's trending downward in popularity or, or maybe it's got very bad security bugs in it. Just and has no hope of getting better. That's our sell criteria. So back to the list, UI kit animations. Argo? So this isn't like uh, like animations on iOS in general. This is just like specific like core animation-based UI kit animation library that's built into the OS. Yeah, basically UI view animate with Yeah, duration. okay. So, I mean, I'll, I'll say hold on it. I don't, there's lots of new stuff out there, and it probably uses it in the background. Some of it does, some of it doesn't. But I don't see any of those things catching on majorly. So I'll just hold on this guy. Yeah, I think I would hold as well. I mean, we are using it now. Um, there's definitely areas of animations I'd like to do more with, especially as you start looking at interactive transition animations. Uh, but it seems like a lot of the third-party animation libraries are are losing some momentum. Like Pop was popular for a little while, but I haven't really heard much of anything. And uh, UI Kit Animations added most of the features that they had. So yeah, I would I would hold on this, and if, or if anything, uh, get better at it, invest more time. Yeah, I'm kind of in the the hold slash buy a little bit, leaning towards the buy mode because I know I need to get better with this kind of thing. And I 
don't really feel like the third parties are living up to the, the standards that you would want from a third party framework as far as long-term viability goes. So yeah, it's, it's still there. It's, I guess it's the old go-to. So next on our list, wearables, things like smartwatches and fitness trackers. Let's start with you this time, Alex. So at CES this year, there were a lot of smart things that were announced. Uh, there were smart spoons, smart toothbrushes, smart cups, smart hairbrushes. I think that was a big one. Um, yeah, but you don't wear a spoon. Yeah, and they're not quite Speak wearables. Speak for yourself. But yeah, smart things, smart shoes. Um, you know, I, I think there was a lot of promise of wearables. I think it's had very limited traction. I think very few things have become, you know, practical. Uh, the Apple Watch, I think, was a decent entry, but I think it is still a very early entry. And I don't think it's a must-have device yet. And from the development perspective, I still feel like there's not a, really a great way to monetize app development on the watch uh, without the phone. You know, the practical applications are still fairly limited. It's a great add-on. You know, no, there's no gold mine, no gold rush. Uh, for the Apple Watch. And uh, I think most of the apps on the watch today have very limited value. So outside of fitness, I don't think there were a whole lot of killer apps. So is so, that a sell? I wouldn't necessarily say sell. You know, it, it's something that, you know, we've done a couple of watch apps, but, you know, it, it's not something I'm going to encourage our clients to, to jump into unless it's a very practical use case for them. Cool. Um, so I would I would say sell for a lot of those reasons you mentioned. I mean, wearables as a whole, not just talking about the Apple Watch, have been kind of consolidating. Pebble got bought by Fitbit. Fitbit's not doing very well. Uh, a lot of manufacturers on the Android side have kind of stopped making Android Wear devices. So there may be a couple that hang around and I'll still use my Apple Watch. Um, but I, I feel like they're on a downward trend. Uh, and Pretty pretty bold there. I'm on the, the fence because I just got the, the newer Apple Watch. I still love it, but I don't find myself... It's not It's not making me get outside or anything. Do you use any third-party apps? Not really. No. You haven't used the Pokemon Go yeah. app yet? Come on, Sam. <laughs> I have used that, and I find that it continually disconnects from the, the app, and then I lose my workout data, so it's worthless. It's just, I'll, I'll look at my watch and it'll say, you need to open the Pokemon Go app. And I have the phone right there and there's the app running and it never ever recovers from that either. So I don't know, that's probably more of a function of Pokemon Go and it's just kind of a buggy app in general rather than the watch. I think the, the base features are decent and fairly well done. It's, it's not a bad product, but it's not a... A must-have product either yeah it it may help differentiate your app from other apps as long as you have something that's worthwhile it doesn't free up a hand if i have my phone open with your app going i can use that one-handed and still have my left hand or right hand to do something else whereas if i'm using the watch i have both my hands tied up now yeah so it, it has to be something quick so is that is that a sell or a hold, Sam? I can't really tell. It's it's hold, and I will say that out of all the fitness trackers out there, Apple Watch being one of the least popular, but Fitbit is one of the most popular ones out there. I want to say they 
at the Apple Watch showed up somewhere around number five in the smartwatch category. Yes, I I don't think it's going away, but I don't think we've seen its full potential quite yet. You're waiting for the FaceTime Apple Watch, right? Holograms. There is a a watch band that has a camera. Oh, yeah, that is kind of cool. (laughs) All right, what's next? The Apple TV, one of Apple's other recent uh, new products. It's really thinking about the Apple TV in the age of smart TVs. These days, you can go out and buy a TV, and it might have have a Roku uh, OS installed on it, or it might have even something like the old web OS from, uh, see, that was Palm that created it. I believe LG bought that. And then your Samsung TVs, I think they might run a variant of Tizen. Not really sure, but they definitely have an app marketplace. So really, what's the future of Apple TV looking like this year, guys? Argo? Um, I would probably say hold on this one. I, I think it's I think it's still a good device, and I'm just waiting for that 4K one to come out. That would be kind of cool if they do that. But I feel like, you know, we're not going to get that big deal that makes it like the future of TV because all the media companies don't really want to negotiate Apple. So I feel like it's going to be like a device that I use all the time. And I don't think it's going away anytime soon necessarily, but I don't I'm not expecting it to like blow up soon either. Yeah, I own several Apple TVs. I think a lot of Apple developers probably do and use them all the time, uh, both in the office and at home. Uh, and I, I agree with Argo that the promise of a cleaner UI for watching television never really materialized. The TV app is, it's an interesting approach, but until they get more of the media providers on board, it just continues to be a fragmented experience. And, you know, I'm jumping between apps all the time, trying to get content together. And, you know, it's almost at the point that the whole cable cutting and streaming is almost too much work. It's questionable whether you're saving money unless you're getting the content through other means. I think it's a better experience than what I had before with cable TV because I can curate my content a little bit better, but it is fragmented. So you mentioned that you use several different Apple TVs every day. Is there one that you, or a particular app that you use more often than than not? At this point, the vast majority of the usage is apps from the various media providers so it's not so much games you know i've bought a couple games i've played a couple games but it's almost all exclusively video content whether it's youtube um hbo cbs you know whatever the network is bbc okay so if you had a tv that included all those as built-in app would you hook an apple tv up to it Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've got a, I think I've got a Samsung TV and maybe another TV that is a smart TV because it's hard to not buy a smart TV these days. You know, anytime you get a larger screen, more often than not, it's a smart TV, but the app experience really isn't that great. I'm not sure I want the TV having its own. Yeah. And other than like uh, HBO and like the big, like Amazon's Netflix's Hulu's and all that stuff, I, I feel like you don't have the individual content providers apps as much on like your smart TV interface. I still think the Apple interface and selection of apps is better than smart TVs, but I don't see it like being vastly better so that they stop making TVs that are smart, even though I guess they kind of have like Vizio doesn't even have apps anymore. They just let you cast to it, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. And uh, somebody had a 
new TV. It's they moved all the、uh, guts into the soundbar, and then the TV itself is just the screen.、Uh, so it's significantly lighter and thinner. But that was an interesting approach.、Um, but it it probably still is a smart TV. But I I think the the Bluetooth speaker and you know being able to cast to it is. Is probably a more practical thing for some of these TV manufacturers, but I think everybody's trying to capture the, the living room. But I think we're all just going to continue to have a multiple collection of devices that can do overlapping things. Yeah, once we get a smart speaker and TV platform, I think that'll start to take off more. But kind of be obnoxious for somebody like a, an HBO that's got to build an app for all these different devices that are. Distinctly different. Yeah, it sounds hard. <laughs>、oh, I'm sure they have tons of people, because <laughs> it's not just say a Apple TV and an Android TV. It's the Roku's, the the Chromecasts, and then you've got various consoles like the the PlayStation and and the Xbox, and then any number of built-in TVs as well. Because a lot of these smart TVs have those things included now too. So yeah, it's I'm sure it's crazy. So are you a、uh... Hold as well. I don't see it taking off like the iPhone did or anything in the near future. So I'm I'm hold. I don't I don't really feel like it's going to go away. If Apple doesn't come out with a 4K version of the Apple TV this year, I think that would be basically the writing on the wall for it. It'll be the next、yeah. Mac Pro. Well, there's multiple rumors that Apple's going to start making high-end quality original content, like. I think Johnny Iving was quoted recently、uh, saying that's that's part of the plan for for the platform. You know, and and someone compared the kind of content they want to create is like at the level of like Stranger Things and Westworld. Not sure how Apple's going to pull it off, but then again, I wouldn't have thought Netflix or Hulu or Amazon would have been able to do that. And they seem to have been able to create some really high quality content. I'm sure they've created a lot of crap too. Oh, but- there's a lot of duds. Believe me. But you know, a lot of the talent seems to like working with a Netflix or Amazon because it's the it's less Hollywood, less、uh, bargaining. You know, it's the you know faster commitment, more creative access. So if Apple's going to do that, then you know they obviously would want to continue to invest in the Apple TV. Now, I I will say that the Apple TV above the The Apple Watch as a platform, from a developer perspective, at least there's a marketplace to build and sell Apple TV apps.、Uh, just again, it, it's wasn't a gold rush. It's it, I think it's been a very successful platform for the content providers to distribute their content and drive subscriptions. But for standalone apps and games, it, it's not the most practical platform. No, the the market for indie apps is fairly low when you compare it to other app content provider platforms. It's great for subscription content. Yeah. All right. So next on the list, <laughs> we're just、uh, going through all these little Apple things, new launches. The Touch Bar. Now, I want to hear Sam first because he has Touch Bars, multiple Touch Bars. So you should have a good opinion on this one. Yeah. So for me, it would be probably a sell. It's not been useful for me. Not really that. Not not for the added price tag. And it's still early, so maybe you could convince me to do a hold. But I really don't feel like it's going anywhere. And I don't look at my keyboard when I type. And sometimes I look down on my keyboard and I see a little shortcut. I'm like, oh, I guess I could have hit this, but I didn't even wasn't even looking there. So I was using one of my coworkers the other day, and I noticed, you know, that. 
crazy shortcut you have to start a screen capture, like command shift four or three or five, or depending on what you want to do. There's a when you do that, looks like there's a thing that lets you switch between the different types. Like you can do just the whole window. You can do selection or whatever. And so that seemed like a I always see interesting ones when I'm using someone else's touch bar. But yeah, I'm not I guess I'm in the boat where I think the touch bar is cool, but I'm never going to like main. I don't think for a while I'm going to use mainly a laptop Mac that I'll have the touch bar accessible. So I think I'm a sell on this one, too. Yeah, I've actually set up my workstation so that I have the laptop open and then it sits below my screen. And so I have basically a vertical setup because I want to be able to use the touch bar if necessary. And I find myself resting my hand on the keyboard and then all of a sudden it's hitting that escape position on the touch bar. And whatever window I had open is reacting to that, doing something I don't want it to do. Yeah, I think I would uh, agree with both of you. Touch bar is a sell for me. Speaking as someone who doesn't have a new MacBook Pro, but you know, the, the added price feels like it's a bit gimmicky. I could see the value of having a more dynamic keyboard, but short of um, or something more happening with it, I, I don't see it being some, something that sticks around, especially when we start looking at new MacBook, or not MacBooks, new Mac Pros and, and iMacs. I'm, you know, how expensive is that keyboard going to be to have a touch bar built into it? Seemed like it added about $300 to the price of a MacBook Pro, so... I don't want a $300 keyboard. Well, not not a $300 keyboard that has that same kind of key on it. You can pay good money for a really good keyboard, and there are people that do it. It's because they have nice mechanical switches, not what the typical laptop keyboard has. But they're normally not $500 keyboards. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> I like the idea of the Touch ID, you know, available, you know, especially when you start talking about 1Password integration but and unlocking your computer, but... Um, that's the only thing I think I really would miss out on, I feel like, if, since I don't have a touch bar. And that sounds like it'd be super awesome. <laughs> I, it's very nice. I will admit that. I just want like a little Touch ID Bluetooth or that I can plug in via USB or something that's just a little, little touch thing. Or just put that on a keyboard. I don't need all the other stuff. Yeah. Well, the other issue I have right now is that I have three cables running into my MacBook. And so I can't even set it up like the way I would have normally set it up before. Well, I guess I did have three cables running into my old one, if you include the power cable, but they were all on one side, or I only have the option of putting up to two cables on one side. So if, if I set my laptop up vertically, it's going to have to shift position. All right, let's uh, move on to the next one. Um, Firebase, uh, which Google had made quite a few updates to in 2016, and mobile backends as a service in general in the you know we're or the post parse now uh, as of january uh, parse.com should be shut down yeah it'll be interesting to see what happens when that goes away i think we're a couple days away from the shutdown still as we record but i think by the time we'll have recorded it'll have happened so i think you know i'll jump in here and you know i think firebase is interesting i, I think all these platforms had a lot of potential and and i think they work really well for proof of concept education and that minimal viable product startup uh wants to get something out quickly and prove a concept i think most companies would outgrow 
or want to go beyond what's what you can get out of the box with some of these solutions. Or, you know, you might also have a small company that doesn't have an IT or developer staff uh, in-house that, you know, just wants to outsource everything. So it's not a bad solution for that either, but you are living within the constraints of what's offered and you are running the risk that it could go away someday in the future. You know, Parse is, you know, prime example, Firebase is no safer than, than Parse, in my opinion. So where are you falling on this? Would you invest more time and effort into a Firebase or other BAS backend as a service platform? I think for the type of applications we build, I think it's a great proof of concept, minimal viable product platform, but not necessarily something I would use for a large client or, or production application. So is that a sell or a hold? It's a... <laughs> It's probably a hold. Like I wouldn't move it into production in most cases. So I would hold where we have it now, which is that contained um, non-production environment. Argo, where do you fall? Um, I guess I would I would label myself as a hold. Uh, just like if you're using that technology, you're probably going to keep using it, uh, and it's good for certain things. Um, I don't think they're necessarily going to go away anytime soon. Another one will pop up if Firebase goes away or Realm's new one goes away. But I think they're going to still be a thing that's out there for people to use for a while. Yeah, for me, I had it as one of my little goals for the new year to invest more time into. So I'm a tentative buy. I, mean, I could get into it more and decide that it's really not my thing. But I have, I got a, a little app I'd like to try it out with. I'm going to call that a buy minus. <laughs> little buy. The next one on the list we've talked about a few times, uh, React Native. Yeah, almost a Odnasium. Odnasium, right? Or Odnasium? Yeah, it's, it, yeah, it's, Odnasium. it's that cross-platform solution that keeps coming up and probably will keep coming up for, for a while longer. Yeah, so for me, sell it. Get rid of it. Alex? I like the promise of it in terms of it's got an interesting programming model. It's, uh, you know, if you can get past the JavaScript. Nope, can't do it. <laughs> it <laughs> I think it's better than a lot of the alternatives because it does create native components. But I think there's a lot of obstacles, you know, in terms of some of the licensing terms, some of the, um, you know, the fact that the dependency graph is, is quite large. You, uh, every time you want to create a custom component, you then have to create a JavaScript wrapper to expose it. So is that a buy or a, a seller or a hold? You're like a politician yeah. here. <laughs> well, we didn't, I didn't buy it last year. So I would say I'm still in the hold and the wait and see, you know, if something changes, if it matures, I, you know, they're still doing breaking changes. I don't think I'm ready to jump on and, until it matures, but of the cross-platform solutions, that's the one that continues to come up and we're keeping a close eye on. So does this have to be just for me or for it in general? Because I don't want anything to do with React Native, but I think it's going to just get bigger this year. I think lots of people are going to use it and, you know, maybe some people will say, oh, we use it for a while and it's garbage or they outgrow it like just like they could a uh, mobile backend as a service. But I I feel like I'm seeing the trend that more and more companies are going to going to use it, whether that's good for users is a whole different story. So what is that? Tell me what that is. Is that a it's either a buy or sell? <laughs> <laughs> and nothing yeah. in between. huh? Yeah. You know, I I'll be curious to see the next blog post from Artsy to say whether they say we switched to React Native and we still love it 
or we switched to React Native and switched back. And I think with those guys, you would probably be able to sense the general direction that's actually going to head into. If they stay on it, they're, they're, those are smart guys. So it would probably be a good thing to invest in if you're in that space of doing cross-platform apps. Yeah, I don't know. There's a lot of people that kind of have posts out there that said, like, why I'm not a React Native developer. That was a good one. And that guy said he did a project with it, didn't really like it, but he could see the advantages of it. I think it might just be one of those things that people are forced to do, even though they don't love to do it. Cool. And you've already said you're a cell. You, you maintain that? Okay. So the next... Yes. I, okay. I still don't think it's going anywhere. So the next one on the list... uh Android. It's not going away. Uh, I guess I'll start off and I'll say, nope. I mean, I've already invested in it more uh, from my company's perspective where our Android stuff is growing and our iOS stuff is growing, but not nearly as fast. So I guess that would put me in the buy category. Is it becoming a, a larger share of your revenue pie? I mean, yeah, it started off as, as nothing. And at the end of last year, we got our third app launched. So now we have all three apps on both platforms. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a growing piece of the pie. Do I expect it to outgrow to become majority? I don't think so. Um, but I think that isn't necessarily have anything to do with the platforms as much as when we started on both platforms. Yeah, I find it interesting because in your market, your apps are very culturally U.S. focused and even more regionally inside the U.S. And Apple, you know, iOS has, I think recently there's like a, they have about 45% market share and it's growing. So while, while your Android usage is growing, it's also in the, probably one of the platforms that you're seeing diminishing numbers for as far as number of users overall. So it's kind of a, it's an odd juxtaposition of trends. I, th I think the growth for iOS was probably in, in, in the U.S. was probably a temporary thing just because of all the Samsung garbage that happened. I think they're probably just going to stick around the same for the immediate future, would be my guess. So what about... Go Actually, ahead. The, the, people that bought, the people that bought Note 7s and got them replaced tended to stay with other Samsung phones. There was a small small percentage of them that actually switched to iPhone. So I was going to say your wife switched, didn't she? <laughs> she did. And then I don't know. I think she would probably switch back to another Samsung phone in the future. Yeah. That's why I, if that was the only reason, I think that's probably just a temporary blip, but I mean, Android is cheaper and that's what a lot of people just kind of care about. And some people care about other things that Android does better than iOS. So there's those people too. I think Android is going to stay the kind of majority mobile platform in the U.S. and it definitely is, you know, globally. So, what does that make you, Sam? Are you a hold or a sell on Android? Uh, as a developer, I really wish we could stop using something like Java. It's <laughs> it's just this is this is like my React Native answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't. Java is to me just okay. I feel like there are much better languages out there today and make it more pleasant to develop in. And no arguments there. <laughs> and maybe Kotlin would alleviate that. It's very Swift-like. Um, I really think Google is doing a lot of things well with that platform. 
So if I had an app that I wanted to uh, port to another platform, it would definitely be Android. It is not really another choice, actually. But I wouldn't, uh, <laughs> I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't dismiss it outright. That's for sure. I would. I actually was tempted to buy one of those Google Pixel phones, but they definitely had the premium price tag on it, and it was not a uh, not at the impulse buy level by any means. That sounds like a hold. Uh, you won't find me switching anytime soon. Yeah, I guess a hold then for that very reason. All right, Alex, what about you? I think I'd probably put myself in the buy category. I think. I think there's decent feature parity between the two platforms now. I do think Google did a better job in their design language uh, with the material design. It's it's very explicit and detailed, and you can do stock material design and have a really nice looking app. I think uh, I think the hardware is pretty decent, relatively speaking. I think the Pixel is pretty close to the iPhone Seven in terms of, of the hardware. Uh, and um, there's plenty of other devices as well. Yeah, like Sam said, Kotlin as a language for developing on that platform is something we're seeing more of. And it has a lot of the features that Swift has that, that we like. So, you know, I think a lot of Swift developers would feel at home with Kotlin on Android. And, you know, I, th I think you know, not to be the Apple dim and gloom, but, you know, Apple's directions have not been very clear with with their platforms lately. I mean, clearly iPhone is a important platform for them, but it's, they're not necessarily innovating as much as I think we would like. Uh, emojis is not something we, <laughs> I think is, is innovation. I, I think that's the problem. The, before Apple entered the phone market, the, the phone manufacturers seem to be focusing on text messaging kind of feel like Apple is in that same boat where they're focusing on emojis. I know that's what people spend the most time doing is text messaging, but it definitely doesn't feel like innovation. Uh, Android, at least a few of the devices, are a little bit further along with the augmented reality and virtual reality concepts. Uh, the iPhone is, you know, at least not a whole lot of from Apple other than a few hires and the hint that they're doing something in secret. Uh, with AR and VR. So long story short, it's a, I would say it's a buy. Apple's going to be here for a while. I'm not quite ready to switch yet, but uh, I, I don't think I'd miss a lot if I did. So that's a great segue into the next one. iMessage apps. So yeah, sticker packs. <laughs> I don't know. Sticker packs are, I think they made a big splash, but the, their utility hasn't proven that proven itself out yeah, yet. I think a lot of the additional extensions that Apple provided in iOS 10 are a decent first step. We'll see if we get more. I'm not sure. I'm personally not that excited about the message apps. I suppose if I'm Uber or somebody like that, I might find more utility in it. I haven't found a, a good use for it yet. Agreed. So sell all around? Yep. I guess so. It's kind of sad, but yeah. I mean, I haven't tried it out, but Pedometer++ Plus Plus has a iMessage app. It's just not sure what the utility of that one is. A lot of them, I don't know if they have a lot of utility. Maybe more from a perspective of talking to bots, that would be something, but that's another technology. Yeah, I think Slack has demonstrated that people would make use of bots. I'm not, I don't think the message apps quite achieve that same, same functionality yet. Yeah, not at all. So iPad Pro, continuing with our theme of hitting on Apple released pro newly released product was it last year that the pro came out or was the 9.7 yeah, came out later in the year or 
Okay. Yeah. So the fifth, the twelve inch came out in the end of fifteen. I think that's right. Did it? Man, I just yeah. got one of those. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so you're a buy. Yeah, I'm. I I was a buy. I have one. I like it. I use it all the time. So I'm gonna stay on buy. Yeah, and I just I literally like two weeks ago I got one. Um, we wanted to wanted it to be easier to take some videos and screenshots for uh for work uh we're working on some new app preview videos and stuff so i got an ipad pro and i was like all right somebody else can use this thing but i got it i installed a bunch of apps on it and i'm like i see the potential here now that i have it uh but apple needs to keep going with it i, I need i need xcode on there or something <laughs> <laughs> so do you find that the larger screen has increased your iPad usage? Yeah, it's increased it. Uh, I do the multitasking stuff a lot more. Um, it just seems a lot more useful. I had an iPad Air 2 um, previously, uh, and compared to that, I, I tend to use it a lot more. And, and that's not to say I use it all the time, because I barely ever use the Air 2. Um, but yeah, what about you, Sam? I, I'm still bullish on the iPads in general. Yeah, I know they've seen a decline in market share recently as far as computers go. Just major, mainly probably because of larger phones out there. Larger phones but, and they have a decent shelf life. Yeah, but I do like the the Pro. Well, I should say I like the Pencil because that's a pretty cool thing. I don't know. I'm definitely not an artist by any stretch, but I would like to play with that pencil more. I think it has some pretty good applications out there. Uh, the price definitely makes me think twice, but depending on what Apple announces for their new lineup of iPads in March, I might be tempted to replace my Air 2. So do you want to get that 9.7 inch or the 10.3 inch iPad Pro that's supposed to have the same resolution as the 13 inch? Kind of like an iPad mini version of that. The iPad mini mega, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> that might be a sweet spot. I don't know. Um, depends. My eyes aren't like they used to be. So the, the larger font size might be more preferable. Like my mini that I have, the original mini, it's, it's a little hard to read sometimes. So I'm going to call you a buy as well. Is that, is that fair to say or is that yep, not? That's okay. Good. So our next item is server side Swift. I'd love to say buy, but sell it. Yeah, I think last year we were, I don't know if we touched on this or not last year, but we were fairly optimistic that server side Swift was going to get a decent amount of momentum. But, you know, I it's definitely better than where it was, but... I think it still has a long way to go, so I'm probably uh, uh, still a hold. Definitely not a buy. So I was gonna say hold, um, but I think I think you guys changed my mind into a sell. I I feel like it hasn't really gone anywhere at all, and it probably will continue continue that trajectory. Honestly, yeah, like, so I'm kind of similar to the Android yeah. platform. I I feel like if I wanted to do Swift on the server side, the closest thing to that I could do today in production would be Kotlin. Yeah, but then you got to deal with something like Tomcat. Ooh, let's not talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so the next thing on our list, we have kind of all the different package managers. Are we going to do them each individually? I guess. Uh, pick one that you would buy. Pick one that you would buy. Hmm. Personally, I'm I'm invested in CocoaPods. Pretty much every project I've work on worked on for the past several years, pretty much since CocoaPods came out, has CocoaPods in it. So I don't think Carthage personally offers anything for me beyond what CocoaPods does. And there's the Roam plugin that if if I want to use the same model as Carthage, I can do that with CocoaPods. My 
hope was that SBM would replace both of them, but that hasn't happened yet. And I'm not really seeing any signs that that's going to happen for iOS development anytime soon. Yeah, I have to couch this a little bit, but I'm still bullish on CocoaPods. Assuming that GitHub doesn't disappear overnight. Hmm. Yeah, I still, if I were going to do something today, I would use CocoaPods, something new. So I guess I'll, I'll say that, although I feel like SPM is going to come out of nowhere at some point. <laughs> I don't know mm-hmm. what it will be. It may not be this next year. It may take two years. So yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll go with CocoaPods. So are you, you mostly using submodules for your dependencies? We are using the mono repo. We don't even do submodules. Uh, okay. That's a different topic. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get we'll save that one for later. Yeah. So last on our list, let me know it's been a long list, but uh, augmented reality slash virtual reality. And Nargo, do we really have to ask you? Oh, I'm a sell. That stuff is garbage. <laughs> <laughs> That's just a fad. Yeah. No, I'm a buy on this stuff. What about you guys? Well, for me... I guess the augmented reality, I would be a buy on, though I'm not sure about the amount of expertise that would be required to implement something like that. I do feel like it's something that is a little bit above the reach of your average indie developer just kind of working on his own. Well, you just need UI kit for AR, you know, AR kit or whatever, and you're good to go. Right. But uh, there's all the, the training and stuff that goes on. Involved, that's involved with these things. Yes, uh, TensorFlow from Google is pretty cool. It's very good at classifying images and things. And you can teach it pretty easily, but it does take a good amount of work. So to do something like, I don't know if you guys ever saw any demos of the Amazon Fire Phone, where it had this uh, Firefly technology, was what they called it. And you could literally point that thing at something on your desk or in the wild, you know, and say, here's how you can buy this on Amazon. It, it was really pretty cool. And a lot of that technology did make it over into the Amazon app. So if you ever do a, a search and tap on the camera button, try that out sometime. That is some really fantastic stuff. So you're, so you're a buy on AR. Seems yeah. like mostly for image recogn- recognition reasons, which is kind of surprising to me because I don't think I think of the two, AR will probably win out in the long run, but I don't think it's going to have anything to do with image recognition. <laughs> it might be a big part of it, but... That's a, a the foundation of it, right? Because if you want to, say, pop up a somebody, you're looking at somebody out in the wild that you just met up with, and you want to see like their little Facebook feed pop up as a chat head above them or something, it still has to recognize that person's face. If, if that's what you want, yeah. I, I feel like that's a little bit too... I don't think... That, that's going to catch on with like normal people. People don't want like things to be like that. Sometimes they do, but I think the overall like creep factor of that is going to would scare people away from that. Well, it definitely scared people away from the Google Glass. The glass, yeah. What about what about you, Alex? You know, you've converted me on the VR side of things. So, I think from an, an entertainment perspective, it's still very much an early adopter uh, position, but the high-end VR solutions are are pretty nice if you've got the hardware to support it. I think it's that marketplace is very much like the marketplace for the App Store was, but perhaps with fewer players. So the barrier to entry is probably higher. Uh, Unity and some other uh, game engines make it a lot easier to get into that space. But it's uh, I think right now an indie can get noticed. Whether they break even or make money, I have no idea. 
Um, but eventually the big players are going to come in and, and dominate the marketplace and I think the indies will get shut out. But for now, it's there's not a lot of titles out there yet, but uh, some of the ones that are out there are, are a lot of fun and, and it's definitely a unique experience. The consumer mobile augmented reality market, I think, is still pretty new and limited what you can do with it. But I think Daydream, uh, they've got the remote that ties into it, gives you a decent amount of functionality without having to have the uh, the wires and, and the high-end uh, computer to run it. So Yeah, I, th- I think it, it may take like two to five years, uh, but I, I think what we're going to see is the mobile stuff is going to merge with this desktop class VR, if you want to call it, um, just with, you know, faster mobile processors, foveated rendering, which basically just only lets you re- render certain areas of the screen in high resolution so that it doesn't take as much power to uh, render something. I think that kind of stuff is kind of going to converge and that's kind of be, going to be the sweet spot and it's going to be mobile and there's going to be camera. So it's, there's going to be AR involved too. So you're not just like in your house in your like VR cave or whatever. Um, that That's going to be the thing that I think makes normal people cool and, with it. Uh, and it's definitely this new, it's really not new, but AR, VR, AI, computer vision, these are all interesting problems that uh, that we can solve and come up with creative solutions and algorithms you know the how do you get a 4k display in two eyes with 90 frames per second and it's kind of like uh, when the early days of the mac os and apple had to come up with a clever way of rendering the window with rounded corners the algorithm was something they had to come up with and i i think it's Kind of like that all over again. You know, we've got these problems to solve and uh, Mm -hmm. it's it's potentially an interesting time for developers if you can get into that space. And with Chris Latner going and going over the Tesla, it seems like he's kind of the same opinion. He wants to go solve some of that AI um, problem domain. One of one of the Tesla rumors, too, is that they're going to have a a HUD on their car that they haven't announced all the details are the Model 3 that's coming out. So there may be some AR there, too. Yeah, that would make perfect sense. All right, so that's the last item on our list, and definitely all the time we have for the night. You guys want to tell us where we can find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at AJ Robinson. I'm at Alex Argo. And I'm at Sam Quarter. The podcast is at Shared Inst, and uh, if you want to join in on the discussion about all this, you can get an invitation to our Slack at chat.sharedinstance.com. And that's all. See you guys next week. Later. Later.